Welcome to Devices and Desires. We are a new podcast, Finding a Sacred World in a Secular Age. My name is Father Brian Wandell. I'm at Church of the Atonement in Buffalo, New York. I've got with me Father Andrew Thibault. Can you say hi, Andrew? Hello. Happy to be here today. And Deacon Matt Trailer. Hey, thanks for having me on, Father Brian. And sound engineer and musical uh, extraordinaire, Mr. James Kibbe. Hello. <laughs> well, we, we're at Devices and Desires, and we're looking at the culture that we live in. We're exposing cracks in the stories it tells, stories of progress, self-image, success, happiness. And we're trying to figure out what it looks like for the gospel to open up from within that fragmented culture. We're bringing our perspective as Anglican Christians, but whoever you are, we hope you'll track with us as we examine the devices and desires of our own hearts and those of our culture. Uh, I just want to let you know, first of all, that music that you heard at the beginning that was performed uh, and composed by Jimmy himself, Jimmy Kibbe. So Jimmy, thank you for that. Um, wh where can people go to hear more of your music, Jimmy? Uh, you can find it on Spotify, uh, Apple, the iTunes. Um, those are probably the places uh, most people go anyway. I mean, you could also search on YouTube. Uh, YouTube Music also has it. If you just search uh, James Robert Kibby, K-I-B-B-Y, um, and that's how you can find that. Uh, so I've got some stuff there. So, And I've got more stuff coming out in the future at some point, hopefully, once we're all done with this uh, quarantining and staying at home and all that jazz. So, Well, thank you for that transition, Jimmy, also, because our topic today is is the church essential? And this is a question that has been going around because uh, the two churches that we represent are currently closed for Sunday services, uh, our in-person Sunday services. And actually this is like the what third or fourth episode in a row that we've been recording over Zoom rather than in person for the same reason. Uh, is the church essential? We hear a lot about businesses that are essential. Here in New York State, we're in a four phase plan. We're in phase two of businesses that are open. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, the president make a comment that churches are essential. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, why are we even having this conversation? So I want to. We're going to dive into this. We're not just going to ask the question. We're not. We're not just going to answer this for the coronavirus, though. We're going to really try to look at this more deeply. How is the church essential for the society that we live in? Not just like, you know, back in olden days in eighteen hundreds, but today in our culture now. Uh, why is the church essential for the society all around us? So before we before we dive into that, let, let's just let's just get into the first part of this. Is the church essential enough to be open? Why, why are we closed right now? Can we have maybe some of the clergy jump on that? Why has why have Sunday services been closed in the church? Well, uh, speaking as an Anglican uh, Christian, we uh, we affirm the authority of the state, right? Um, and uh, recognize that in some of these things that the state actually has some authority uh, to mandate for the public good and the common good. Um, and with this novel virus, the pandemic, the state uh, shut down all uh, gatherings of people of 10 or more, I think it was, right? Um, and so it wasn't just churches that they shut down. They shut down... Um, all sorts of things, uh, all sorts of commerce and all sorts of events and, um, and churches were washed up with that. Um, and we were asked or told rather to not 
shut down. I, I think there would be an interesting question of whether the state, if the state had let churches continue to meet, whether or not we should have continued to meet anyway, or if we should have, um, for the sake of the common good, um, stopped meeting on our own account. I think that that would have probably been the more loving thing to do, but at the end of the day, it wasn't really our call. Uh, some of our free church brothers might uh, bristle at the idea that we would allow the state to dictate whether we can, we can meet. Um, but I think there are questions there that we need to answer about um, religious liberty and whether they were actually impinging on our, our liberty. We weren't singled out, right? The churches weren't the only ones told not to, to meet. Um, we, every, everything bigger than 10, what people was told not to meet for the sake of the common good. It's, it's probably worth noting that this, you know, in plagues in the past, uh, this would not have been uncommon for a church not to be open to the public for a little while or something like that. Uh, right. Well, and then there's an, yeah, there's an added factor also just that, you know, uh, people didn't know before 130 years ago how exactly how diseases were communicable. And we have that knowledge now and we, we do have to use it now that we have that knowledge. Right. And just to jump ahead in our conversation a little bit, um, one of the purposes of the church is to work for the, the, the good of the society around us, right? That includes our own people. So we have to worry about the, the health and well-being of our own people, both not just spiritual, but also physical uh, and emotional health, right? So the, the whole person. Uh, and we also need to con consider the, 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 the township, the, the municipality around us and our, and our impact on those, the whole whole person um, in our community there as well. Um, Let me ask you this, Andrew. So, you know, uh, right now in New York State, we're in phase two of a four-phase opening. And that means that, for example, restaurants uh, can open up outdoor seating right now. Um, and we see various stores opening uh, and that kind of thing. Yet churches uh, really are not supposed to be meeting, at least indoors in our typical services. Um, do, does that mean that uh, somehow we are valued, le we are seen as less essential than those businesses? Uh, well, I would say yes, we are, but I don't know that that, that actually right. shows that well, or not. Let, let, let's talk about this particular situation. <laughs> yeah, though, yeah. I, I don't think so. I think that the issue at hand is number of bodies, um, right? Like a, a, a restaurant, at least it's what we're being told, that, um, that a restaurant with outdoor seating they're not going to be as crowded as say a church with an indoor worship service. My, my, at my church, uh, St. Bartholomew's our average Sunday attendance across all of our services, about 350 people, um, which for an Anglican church is pretty big in, in the U S how many restaurants are going to have 350 people come through in like a three hour period and in an enclosed space, touching all the same things, sitting directly next to people that are not part of your family or right. your party, singing, mm -hmm. you know, doing mm -hmm. things like singing, which uh, project um, aerosol further than other things. I mean, so I don't think it's as simple as saying because restaurants can open outdoor seating, uh, somehow they're more valued than than churches are because they they can't can continue to meet. I think it's a more complex. Right. Thing. There's a lot of phrase. You, assume, you say our church is essential. We think like, is church important at all? Like that kind of thing. 
uh, let, like, let's be clear here. Right now, with this this particular conversation, we're talking about health concerns, and we're talking about a potential delay of like a few weeks. We're not we're not talking about like is the church going to be closed forever or something like that. That's not the conversation. Right. And again, I think it's important to keep in context that the, it, the church isn't being singled out. There are other institutions that generally draw larger crowds like churches um, that are also not permitted to meet. And the churches can meet if we can stay under 10 people. In in my case, that means we're doing 35 services a week and that's just, that, that leads to burnout. (laughs) Don't you get paid for this, Andrew? Not that much. (laughs) (laughs) I think you have to start, like I have to start charging per service or something. We were doing wealthy donors. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, okay. That's good. I think that's important just to put out there before we move on, because uh, you know, we're, we're doing the best with, we're doing our best to love the people in our services and to love our surrounding community. Uh, And right now there are just some practical issues about how we do this. Um, and we're just, we're paying attention. We're trying to learn from people who know about diseases and things like that so that we can do our best in this situation. Shameless um, plug. We had a doctor on, was it last podcast? That's right. Dr. Sam Cloud. He, he talked a little bit about it, but not a lot. Right. Uh, so, but I think it is worth opening up this bigger question here about, um, is church essential? The, the president made a statement. He said, church is essential. Um, I, it's unclear to me what he meant by that. Um, uh, we have some questions there. So, you know, we just talked about whether Sunday services like today versus a month from now, like we're, we can be practical about that, about what needs to be done. Um, but how is the church actually essential for our, we, we know that the majority of our society are not people who are uh, living, uh, trying to be, or claiming to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Um, we know that uh, a lot of people in our, our society around us are not going to church on any given Sunday. Um, but, uh, but, but is the church not only a benefit for people who are in the building, but for the broader culture around us? Any of you want to jump on that? Well, uh, I'd be happy to go. And uh, if Matt and, and Jimmy want to chime in, uh, please feel free to do so on YouTube, Brian. You, you're able to articulate these things as well. I'm just trying not to answer my <laughs> question. <laughs> uh, it just sounds weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a little bit weird. One man conversation. Um, I think that uh, let's first let's note that we are o- we are offering our answer um, as as Christians, right? As those who belong to this thing that we call the church, uh, and so we have like we're standing within a, a, in a given tradition. And, and culture as we answer this question. Um, and we, we recognize that our, our answer is um, accountable to, to the cultures around us and that we also can critique um, the cultures around us from our, from our vantage point, um, hopefully working within good faith, right? Um, and from the Christian perspective, we want to say that, yes, the church is essential, um, in a very, very real way. Um, And the reason we want to say that is because the church uh, understood broadly um, and um, the church is the body of Christ, is the the term that we get from Scripture. Um, And as such, the church, um, those who profess, 
professed faith in, in Jesus Christ and been baptized um, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, we participate, we share in, in Jesus. Now, making that statement is to, is to say that the church is essential because there is nothing more essential than Jesus Christ. In him, by him, and through him, all things have had come to their being. He is the logos, the, the unifying principle to all of reality. Now, we would, as Christians, want to say, without Jesus, the source of reality, there is no reality. Therefore, uh, he is the most essential thing. And if the church is his body, if we are his hands and feet, if we somehow share in him, then we, have, we share in that essentialness. We somehow are not some, some side part of creation. We are at the center of that. Um, and we want to affirm that we are, uh, as the body, the hands and feet of God, that we are the instrument of him, enlivened by the Holy Spirit. We are his instrument in the world, um, helping and sharing, participating, and making all things new again. Um, and insofar as we, we share in Christ, if we participate in Jesus, then the church has to be essential. It has to be. Um, and so, like, that is the ontological, like, we call that the ontological uh, claim. Like, who is the church? What is the church? Um, and that's what we as Christians say. We are the body of Christ. We are, um, we are essential. Now, the, the economic, the, the outflowing of that, like, the church's mission, who we are in the world, how the world experiences us, um, I would say that we should be essential there, too. Um, the question, though, is, are we? On one hand, I want to say, yes, we are, because, because of who the church is, because we are the body of Christ, we have been entrusted with certain things. We've been entrusted with the Holy Spirit um, and made alive and united to Christ through the Holy Spirit. And it's by the Holy Spirit that we are empowered to shine the light of Christ into the world, which is a necessary thing, we as Christians want to say, that, that, that people need to know Jesus Christ, the, the true source of reality and truth in the world. But we've also been given uh, the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. The church is the stewards of the scriptures, which is the written revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Um, and we've been given the sacraments, uh, which are the means of grace, the means of our un union with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we would also argue as part of that, because we have the written scriptures and the sacraments, that we can also then see natural law, um, which is another form of revelation, and where we can actually see that better. So we can actually help the world to understand itself better uh, because of the written revelation, but also because we can, we, we can see um, natural revelation better too. As uh, Stanley Hauerwas uh, pithily points out that the church should be going with the grain of the universe. Um, and because we go with the grain of the universe, hopefully we go with the grain of the universe. Um, we can see how the universe is supposed to go. And in so doing, we can share that with the world around us. Um, we have access to see things the way they really are because of who Jesus Christ is and his illuminating Holy Spirit within us. Matt, you want to add to that? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I can pick up those two big themes uh, as well and play that course a little longer. Um, just like what is the church and why is it important in relationship to Jesus? And then um, what's kind of our place in society? You know, it always strikes me. Um, we've got one Sunday in our liturgical calendar called Christ the King Sunday. And it really exposes our sort of um, radical claim. Uh, and I was just looking this up, uh, this one uh, in Revelation. So like at the end of all things, um, what's the relationship between church and society? Um, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible um, says there were uh, a shout in heaven that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Uh, and so we're just in this hilarious place where as Christians, we're living in a broken world. We ourselves are still um, have the disease of sin. We um, still participate in brokenness. Um, the The world is screwed up. The church is messed up. And so far as, as that is still the case, um, and, and, and so far as we're still making progress to being the people that God made us to be. But we also have this outrageous proclamation that at the end of all things, that all these others, all the rest of society um, and uh, other uh, political systems, all that sort of thing, will all be consumed and taken up by Jesus and his kingdom, you know? And so we're just in a very strange place where we're like, yeah, right now, you know, we're kind of in a Jesus death sort of phase. Like we're, we're seeing some of the light of heaven breaking in, uh, particularly through the church, but also the spirit doing that outside the church. Um, but then we also are um, given uh, this message that eventually everything will be consumed when the church is the fullness of its beauty and, and ultimate union with God and, and in life when the new heavens and new earth is here, um, that all these other systems will be part of the church. And so even though, uh, you know, especially here in um, kind of modern secular society, it seems like the church is just like this random community of people who, um, you know, have this like religious thing that rituals that they do. Um, and that has some ethical, but that's about it. You know, the rest of us are just going about normal life when actually like that is the center of society and everything else uh, will eventually be taken up into that ritual of, of offering to God. Um, so two other things come to mind real brief here. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking of, um, one is this idea related to that of a parish model of ministry where in fact the church, and we could even say the church building, um, is the center of our neighborhood. Like if, like you were saying, Father Andrew, that, that the worship of God, that Jesus is the most important thing, then wherever that happens has to be the most important place, right? Um, and thus, the whole like neighborhood, wherever you want to call it, the one mile, the, the city, whatever uh, bounds you want to put on that, um, that the places of worship are the centers of what all culture is meant to come to, that is to be offered back to God in prayer, that sort of thing. Um, so in, in the parish model, um, your, where you live, your neighborhood, the people around you, uh, we as the church, um, each of us as Christians, are 
our priests, we're supposed to be offering these people to God in prayer, asking God's blessing on them, asking God, like us, to draw them to repentance and, and to receive his kindness and not to lead us into deeper relationship with him. Um, just all the things that we do as the church, we're supposed to be in and praying for the neighborhood around us uh, that they would also join us in that so that in time, especially when Jesus comes back, uh, we will all be have that unity of, of worship. Okay, last thing. Um, just on your first point, uh, Father Andrew, about um, what is the church, this in fact is what drew me into the Anglican tradition in the first place. As I read the New Testament in particular, but it's clear throughout the scriptures, I think, um, is that God is always, is, um, what do you say, the unity of the kingdom, that there's only one God, and that that God made us with a particular purpose, um, and that he is supposed to reign over his people in unity, and that the church is supposed to be united, um, that like this is a reality that we're supposed to be living out, right? Um, that there is only one church. Um, and I think you made a great point, uh, Father Andrew, that like it, that's only because of Jesus, right? Um, we're not just some sort of social thing, Um but uh, if you belong to Jesus, then you've been baptized into the new people that Jesus is making. Um, and communion is a sharing uh, in Eucharist, is sacraments, like you said, is a sharing in that unified body. The new people of God that will one day be that people who um, all the other kingdoms are folded into, right? Um, so... Uh, the church being essential is only essential, as you say, if Jesus is essential. And if Jesus has recreated humanity, made a new people for God, set people, us apart to, to be like God and to worship him, all these sorts of things, um, that if you belong to Jesus and you want to know, do you belong to the church? The answer is always yes, <laughs> uh, that the church is absolutely essential to the gospel, um, you know, just uh, you think scripturally, like um, when in Acts 9, when uh, Jesus asked Paul, why are you persecuting the church? He doesn't say, you know, Paul, um, why are you persecuting my fan club? You know, I need these groupies with me. No, nope, that's not what he says. He doesn't say like, oh, you know, I, I, I formed a support group for other like-minded people to kind of come together and have this hobby of following me, right? No. Um, he doesn't say, you know, I started this mission organization called the church and you need to be part of it because you love me. No, Jesus says, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Jesus so closely identifies himself with the church that if you belong to the body of Jesus, then you must belong uh, to the church. Um, and we, we talk about this as union with Christ is the name of the doctrine, um, but that you can't belong to Jesus without belonging to his body. Um, because that's what Jesus came to do, was to make a new body and call us into this vocation of, in fact, like you said, Father Andrew, renewing the world, <laughs> making it the way it's supposed to be. So that's my uh, riff on your chorus there. Yeah. That was really good, Matt. Thank you for, um, thank you for riffing on uh, Jesus' words to Paul there also. It was really, <laughs> it was really good. Um, I, uh, just real, real quick, just add on to that. Um, I, the, the point that you make about the church being like the center of the neighborhood, I think is, is a really good and great point. Because one of the things that we mentioned in, in the first part was that the church is to be about the common good, right? Think about Jeremiah 29, 7. God sent the, the, the Israelites into captivity, into exile, and he tells them to work for the good of the city in which they've been planted, 
right? Uh, to continue doing the things that they are meant to do, but do it as his people, be a light to that nation uh, and to work for their good. Uh, and that's what the church is supposed to be about. We're supposed to be about working for the good. And part of how we do that, I think, is by making good citizens, right? Like where else can a good citizen be formed if not in the church? If we are living our mandate to love God and love our neighbor, uh, we should be the best citizens in any yeah. city or state. We should be the ones doing justice the best. We should be the ones who are doing education the best. We should be the ones who are doing all these things that make a free and, and healthy society. Those should be outworking from the church. I think of Tertullian, uh, I think it was one of those who were like defending Christians in the Roman Empire when nobody knew what a Christian was or what they were all about. They thought we were cannibals and whatever. whatever. Uh, and he says, no, 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 you don't want to persecute Christians or you don't want to whatever uh, Christians because they have internal motivation to do the right thing. You see, you use your sword to keep people from doing bad stuff, but Christians believe that God is actually going to judge them for what they do. And so they don't just have this sort of external motivation, but they want to love God and love their neighbor, you know? And so right. like these, right. um, you know, you misunderstand if you think we're all about um, somehow malforming society. No, we actually have the best reason to um, participate in uh, society and, and yeah. the way that's best for it. This is really good because so on the one hand, so Christianity is essential for humanity and that kind of thing. Uh, Andrew, you were going into that. Matt, I really liked what you said. I mean, the church is essential for Christianity. We didn't even jump into that, but like that's, right. that's really important, <laughs> like you said. Um, let, me, let me just kind of work off what you were saying there because so I'm going to give you... Uh, what are what are reasons like secular reasons of why why the society around us should value the church and see it as essential in our society? So here's a few. Uh, even if you don't subscribe to Christian doctrine, uh, one we pursue social benefit. We we pursue social good without monetary benefit. Uh, like you said, Matt, we ha we have internal motivation for the good of the city around us. Uh, two, uh, we believe that ideas are critically important. Uh, so we're people who uh, are continually reading texts and trying to pull things out of them and live by those ideas as principles in our lives. Uh, so when uh, people around us just want to go on, you know, kind of see ideas as not important, uh, we are an organization that sees ideas as very important uh, for how we live. What's up, Andrew? I think that's a great point. And I think it's worth noting that historically the church has actually worked to preserve those yeah, ideas. definitely. You think well, of I've the fall five, of I've Rome. Five, I've got five yeah, points yeah. here, so let me get these. All right, <laughs> so two is the ideas. Three, uh, we supply a community that's explicitly based on love. So for, for you know, we, we, there's a lot of good community out there, but let's also recognize there's a lot of community based on reciprocal benefits. And we are explicitly commanded to base our community upon unconditional love. Uh, four, uh, we pursue transcendent meaning uh, outside of our culture's narrative. Uh, so like, let's just be realistic. Like so many of the values that are popular in our culture today are not going to be popular in 10, 15, 20 years. And, and that get, you can get a lot of despair about that pretty quickly when you really think about it. Um, it's really helpful to know that there are some people in our society who are pursuing some kind of truth that's transcendent. And, it, yep. and at, least, at least they believe is not completely tied down. There's gonna be some kind of a voice outside of the narrative that the church will always supply. You might not always like that, 
um, but we're always going to have a foot outside of what our culture is doing. Number five is on the more personal level is that uh, we supply a, a way of looking at life in which we are decentered and is outside of my own self. And here I just want to read a great quote from famous um, commencement speech given by David Foster Wallace um, at Kenyon College in 2005. We talked about this, about uh, the necessity of some kind of uh, like a lodestar outside of yourself, or otherwise things just get destroyed. He said, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. And David Foster Wallace, of course, is certainly not a Christian. He said, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap your real meaning in life, you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Uh, so I, I think That's there are five really, yeah, five really good reasons there why I think even people who are not part of churches and don't subscribe to our doctrine can see us playing a really important role in the society around us. Yep. Uh, we laid out some great stuff there. The church is essential and important, but let's be honest, most people don't see us that way. We're gonna take a break here, and when we come back, we're gonna to try to answer that question, why don't people see the church that way? And uh, if we really have something here, how can we make that known in the society and the culture that we're living in? So we're gonna take a break here with some more tunes from Mr. James Kibbe. We'll be back in a moment. You are listening to Devices and Desires, finding a sacred world in a secular age. Like and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash devices and desires. Welcome back to Devices and Desires. We're finding a sacred world in a secular age. Let me just encourage you uh, to comment on our Facebook page, like and subscribe uh, to uh, wherever you got this from, iTunes, Spotify, wherever it is. Uh, that helps us to get things out to more people as we continue to make connections, uh, as we continue to explore what it means for the church, uh, not only to live uh, and survive, but to flourish as, um, as the organization of the body of Christ and God's gospel in the world today. So we're asking this question, is the church essential? We answered in the affirmative, and yet I'm, uh, I suspect that there may be people around us in our culture who would answer in the negative. Uh, why is it that our society does not see the church as an essential part of culture? Andrew, you want to answer that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, it's complicated. Uh, the simplest way probably to put it, though, is that uh, though we are in the church, uh, we are, we're still sinners. Uh, that's the reality of it, uh, that we are a people on the way, um, that just because um, we are in, in Christ now, that doesn't mean that we have arrived, as St. Paul says it. Uh, in fact, that's one of the great things about the church is that we are, um, we're all 
stand before God, uh, recognizing our need for forgiveness. Uh, and we, we receive that forgiveness and hopefully we're able to offer that forgiveness to, to others as well. Um, the problem is that we don't live into our own ideals, right? Um, that we don't live in, into our calling. Um, and so we, we, sometimes we do, we do a lot of, um, a lot more damage than we do good. Sometimes that's out of, um, it, good intentions gone bad. Um, but sometimes, uh, we, we look, uh, too much like the world and not enough like our Lord. Um, and so we can, it, it's easy to talk in generalities, right? But let's, you know, maybe there are some specific things that we, we can say. Can I name uh, names? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get there. Yeah, let's do that. So one, one name I'd like to name, um, is sexual abuse. Yeah. Uh, that's a big thing right now. So here we are. We're, we're the people that are talking about, um, how, how good marriage is, uh, why marriage should only be in a particular way. Uh, and I still want to affirm that. Um, and we should affirm certain things about marriage. Um, but yet at the same time, we're the ones who are, um, abusing people, right? Uh, people in authority in the church are abusing parishioners. They're abusing people outside the uh, their church, using their place of authority uh, to take advantage of people. Um, we're, I mean, the church does not look any better than the world when it comes to divorce, mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to pornography use, when it comes to sex outside of marriage. Um, and we have this pernicious habit of signaling, uh, singling out uh, pet sins, right? So we, we want to harp on particular sexual sins while ignoring other sexual sins. Um, so you might hear a lot of sermons on homosexuality and why homosexuality is bad. Um, but how many sermons do you hear on why pornography is bad? Um, how many sermons do we preach on sex trafficking? How many sermons do we preach on prostitution, on, on um, workplace sexual harassment? Mm, yeah. um, you know, we don't, we don't even preach on these things, let alone work towards justice in these things in our community half the time. Now, there are really great Christian organizations. Uh, the International Justice Mission is doing great work around the globe dealing with these things. And in fact, that we can recognize these things as being bad is something that we get from the Christian tradition. Um, but we, again, we don't live into these ideals. So I would name, you know, the issues of sex being one place that we, um, we fall short. It's hard to hear us when we're, we're trying to say this is what marriage ought to be uh, when you look at us and you, you don't see us living that ourselves. And there are a number of studies of what, you know, why people have a negative view of the church. And almost always on the top of that uh, is hypocrisy is hypocrisy. one of the things they put on there, right? Right. And e even when, like, say, um, levels of sex abuse are the same in the church as it is, say, in schools or something like that, it just looks much worse for the church. Uh, and not to excuse that at all. Uh, in fact, to say that we, we must have a much higher standard on those things. Yes. Uh, the, and, and we speak as uh, three of us here are ordained clergy. Uh, our standards must be much higher. People, people should see us as people who are pursuing righteousness in our own lives and commending it to others. Yeah. And we can't be afraid to call it. Right. Right. Uh, in our own lives too. You know, where I yeah. fall short, I've got to be, 
uh, upfront and and transparent um, and willing to walk that with my people, mm-hmm. um, that, that way of repentance. And let me just be honest as a pastor myself, you know, I think one, one reason people don't see the church as essential is uh, ministry tactics that have been designed to simply get people in seats on a Sunday. Uh, because uh, I'll be honest, that makes a pastor feel good when we have more people to preach in front of. It's a countable number that we can tell to our peers. Uh, I would say even more so than like giving numbers or something like that, like seats, you know, people that we can count as seats count as like a win. We feel like we're doing well. And we, we, we sometimes see that as like our ministry goals. Uh, we're doing well if we have X number of pe- people in the seats on a Sunday, which praise God, if, if people are around the worship of the Lord, um, but church is so much more than that. And uh yeah, the church looks fairly anemic when, uh, when our, our, our gospel is get people in, in the seats on a Sunday, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, no wonder that people don't see us as uh, a, a really fully or like caring about ideas and community based on love and things like that, right? I think, yeah, uh, that's a great point. And, and part, of, part of what goes with that is I think uh, not just a, a wanting numbers to count, but like this idea that we have to sust- be sustainable. Right. So seats in the butt equal or seats and butts in the pew, butts in the seats, however you say that people, uh, oftentimes they, they equal dollar signs. Right. Right. Uh, and so the world looks at us and they, they might see uh, a, a tax exempt community that's constantly asking for money. Um, and what are we putting our, our, our money towards? We're, we're putting it to our building. We're putting it to our own people. We're putting it. Yeah. To, but when are we taking those funds that, that those monies that were being exempted from the government and when are we contributing those to the common good? Mm-hmm. Right. When are like, we taking that benefit and working? Uh, I mean, just even small things like food banks and, and um, helping people with their felt needs. And like paint with a, a general brush, there are places that are doing that. I, I mean, I think of uh, the Buffalo City Mission, and uh, that's a great Christian organization. And there are um, Christian food pantries in the area. And there's the Buffalo uh, Dream Center, which is a church that's actually doing that. But how many other places do does the community around us see us actually working to make the the the, body, the embodied lives of our neighbors better? Yeah, here's a tough question. If we asked people who lived just within two blocks of our church building, if this place disappeared overnight, what would change about the neighborhood? And, and to be honest, that would be a really embarrassing question. We would get some embarrassing responses uh, in, in a lot of places. Yeah. And I wonder if those two things you guys mentioned are connected. Yeah. Father Brian, you're talking about philosophies of ministry that are you know, I, I think probably best cast as like evangelistic of like, how do we spread, you know, the message of Jesus to as many people as possible, but to the detriment, and that's great, but to the detriment of like people actually becoming more like Jesus, um, the Christian word for that is discipleship or, or <laughs> holiness uh, becoming more like Jesus. And like, I wonder if that is part of the um, reason why we end up being more hypocritical 
um, than the scripture seems to express who we are is because uh, our churches aren't geared to like make people more like Jesus. They're only geared uh, around this concept of like, let's just get this word about Jesus out sort of thing. So I wonder if those two things are connected. Um, and then just a second thing on that. Um, yeah, I, I feel like in talking with people who are not Christians about becoming Christians, I hear that all the time. Um, that the church is hypocritical. Um, and so like that's a de facto reason to not be part of this group. Um, and there are two things on that. The first one I think is, I mean, and so I'm very sympathetic, like, oh man, I'm hypocritical. Like Matt is hypocritical, you know, like, I've got um, a way I want to be, the thing I want to do. And then this other principle, this disease that I still have um, that works against it, you know. Um, but two things come to mind. The first one is not so much that that's true or not, um, but the fact that that means you don't want to be part of this community is strange to me um, because it seems like the church is the place, as you talked about, Father Andrew, where like you can actually be forgiven and be empowered to do better, you know? Um, like if it's just about you at the end of the day and like how good a person you are or not, there's like no outside resources. You're just going to be stuck with you, you know? And there are so many people that that we offend every day. My, my wife, you know, people in the neighborhood that I ignore, um, you know, the people who have needs that I ignore, like you guys are talking about. Um, but where do I like restart that? You know, I could like internally say, oh, I'm going to do better next time or something. But like, we all know that we're just going to fall back into our habits and whatnot. Like what I love ends up being myself again. And so I just do what's good for me. Right. But the church is actually that place where you can meet with Jesus. He can forgive you for what the things that you've done against uh, God for like not doing the things that he's asked us to do and be uh, and to the people around us. And then um, we're free. Like, oh, I can start afresh again. Um, our prayer of confession in our prayer book um, says that uh, so that we may walk with you and that we may uh, desire you um, again. And so like our, our simple confession, our simple like wanting to do better um, is so that we actually will do better, you know, so that we will firmly resolve and do everything we can uh, to be different. And that's the power of the gospel, that we're actually becoming a different people, not like we were before, but we're becoming better. Okay, is that a process? Yeah. Have I ever met anyone who's like perfect at loving God and loving neighbor? No, not until they die, you know. But um, by God's grace, it's not about us, it's about God empowering us in time um, we take steps that direction, you know, we might take three steps back, but we keep moving forward. And that's only by God's grace. So um, it's just a word of like, yes, I think that's true that um, we are hypocritical, that we need to repent seriously. Like this isn't a small deal. This is a big deal. Like our life is on the line here. Um, so like we need to repent and confess. Um, but um, that like the answer that well, I don't want to be part of this community that's actually getting better. Just seems, I don't know, a little bit like either lazy or like, well, where do you go to like find ultimate forgiveness and like restarting, you know, is my question kind of to the culture. And I wonder if what's underneath that, though, is um, this like secular flattening of the church that there's not actually nothing going on between humans and God in the church is like the perception I think by society, because that's the frame of reference that they're working with. 
Um, and so that it really just is a social thing. And if that's all it is, then to hell with it. Literally, like if we don't have God's forgiveness, we're all doomed, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, if there's actually an exchange going on between us and God in the church, and we are empowered to become less hypocritical, we'll say, over time, and, and that's a process and grace and all that sort of thing, um, then I think we absolutely need the church. Everybody does uh, in order to um, be more uh, authentic, more integrated with who we were made to be and, and who we want to be um, at the end of the day, people who love God and love neighbor. So um, yeah, we've got to repent, I would say as well, but also like the only place that that can actually happen is in the church. I think, I think that's a good word. Um, I think though, I don't want us to be misheard. Um, and, and like, like that we're shifting things back towards the culture, right? Uh, it, it, that somehow it was the cult, culture that flattened out the relationship between God and man. I think what we have to recognize is even those shifts that happened within the culture, those were shifts that happened within the church first. It was the church failing to be who we were meant to be that has led to the secularization of the culture. Uh, it didn't happen in a vacuum. The shift from Christendom to where we are today, um, that happened for a lot of different reasons. Um, but at the center of that were uh, conversations that were happening in the church and the church failing to be who she was meant to be to the broader world. Um, so even as we look to the secular society and say, well, here, you know, we need to address these things. I think it's important for us to remember, oh, yeah, we had a hand in that. Yeah. Even as and I want, truth. I want to mention a couple more of those failures. <laughs> um, yeah. One, <laughs> one um, and this has been a temptation, I think, for churches that are a little more formal in their liturgy, is a temptation towards self-satisfaction that we have gotten things right by a certain form. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an Anglican priest myself. I, I appreciate liturgical forms, uh, but there's definitely a temptation towards self-satisfaction there that once I've gotten this liturgy right, then my ministry is good because in this hour and 15 minutes that I had in this, you know, my public presentation of everything I've been trying to get right, then, then I'm good and my people are good. Um, I think there is a temptation in a number of formal liturgical churches toward that. And on the other side, I would say certainly um, the history of revival, re revivalism in America has, uh, has been a mixed bag and yep. Uh, yep. certainly has spurred a number of good works and charitable organizations and people to have faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but it has also undermined aspects of Christianity also, uh, has tended to individualize faith, it has tended to associate faith sometimes too closely with emotion and how I'm feeling in the moment. Uh, it has tended to focus people particularly on uh, the single question of, uh, am I the person who's going to get to heaven? And not also thinking about uh, their role in the kingdom of God in the world today. Uh, yeah. And that has had a detrimental effect on the church. Uh, again, the churches feel more exciting when some of those things have been happening, but long term, there have definitely been some issues caused by them. Yeah, and let me let me just name the other one that's certainly relevant today in this week as we're recording is the church's history on race um, has not been good. Uh, has not um, uh, it, it's it's not hard to miss that um, how poorly the church has performed in many cases, and and of course there there are many. 
many exceptions to this, and I, I don't mean to make a blanket condemnation on all ministries, but um, but churches have have often failed uh, to recognize and empower voices that don't speak the language of faith in exactly the same way that they do. Uh, just like when uh, when African African Americans talk about their faith and. Sometimes the language is different uh, than the way white churches talk about their faith. And uh, we've too easily read that as a disconnect and failed to continue having conversations, failed to continue in fellowship because of that. Um, we have uh, all too often been satisfied with the people that we're most comfortable with being around. And, uh, and that is a great detriment that cuts at the core of Christianity when that happens. All right, given that the church is essential for the culture, uh, we have failed that in many ways. There's good reason uh, in, in some ways that the, church, the culture does not see us that way. Uh, what can we do? Uh, what can we do to make it known that the church is essential? In other words, how large of a billboard should we put outside of our church saying we're really important? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, 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 really, what, what's going to actually be effective in people seeing the church this way? Well, I think being who we were meant to be. Um, and that is, that is like to be the hands and feet of Christ, right? Um, so I think in, um, in the context that we're in, um, a, a context that is skeptical about the essential nature of the church or the church in, at all, um, we, we have to work harder to build relationships. Um, I think that it, it's in relationship, um, both within our own borders, so to speak, uh, Jesus says it's by your love for one another that you will be known as my disciples, right? So uh, the first thing we need to do then, I think, is is make sure that we're loving ourselves with, uh, not loving our, I don't mean loving ourselves, but I mean like loving our brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And that has to include, I think, um, loving other traditions, right, within, in, so like us as Anglicans reaching across um, to other traditions within the Christian faith. I think that has to include also um, loving uh, brothers and sisters who aren't like me, um, yeah. loving uh, my African-American uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, do they know that we are for them, that we love them, that we're here for them, uh, right? That we want to, to comfort them, to hear them, um, and to be, to be there for them. Um, and not just in the time of crisis, but like in a real sustainable, long lasting kind of way. That's not like a tokenism, um, but, in, but there's something that's real and meaningful. Um, are we serving the poor with our, within our own community? Um, are we, are we working towards, uh, bringing, um, health and, and restoration to the marginalized within our own community? I mean, that's one of the things that we, one of the problems that we fall into within the community of believers as well as we sort of marginalize the poor um, and we don't do a great job of um, loving them and bringing them into our into our midst in part because we might ask well, what can they bring to the community well just their being in our community is what they bring it's love the love for the other um, so if we can do those things in our own community first i think that'll go a long way if we're just who we're supposed to be within our that will attract people Right, like they, they will see that light shining outside of our borders by the way that we love within. But then we have, we can't stay there. Like we have to go out. Right, we have to be reaching uh, outside of our own our own walls and exhibiting that to, to the culture around us. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to ask the have, question: 
what does what the community around the church, the specific the couple blocks around us, what do they need? Uh, who are they? Do we even right. know who they are? Uh, right. and, 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 and in that context, you know, we even asked the question, what, what, what do you need? Uh, what, what would be helpful for you from the church? You know, those are, those are questions that we can ask community around you know, us. It used to be the case. It used to be the case that when you would have uh, like a town meeting, that would happen in the church building. Hmm. That the, the church was the place where community dialogue was happening. Um, we've become so insular though, that that doesn't happen anymore. We, we don't invite people even into our buildings to have real dialogue about what is needed in the community. What is now admittedly as a nation, we were, we've lost some of the ability for social discourse, um, at least civil social discourse. And that's on the church too, in a lot of ways. Um, but I think that's a place where we could, you know, like there's a lot that we have a lot to talk about as a nation right now. Um, there are conversations that need to happen in real and honest ways in ways that are in the context of, of good faith. Um, that's a good point. Like if, if we, if we're people, where can that happen? Yeah. If we're people that actually do believe that ideas are important and, you know, uh, right. are there ways, are there ways that we can make that known, uh, that we can host those conversations that we can be involved in that the, right. in, in point of fact, like the, the culture sees us for the most part as anti-intellectual. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Uh, and like fundamentalist, like we're just dug into our ways and unable to have meaningful conversations about meaningful things. Mm, yeah. Um, on a different note, uh, Father Brian, I was struck when you talked about us believing in unconditional love. Um, and I think often the church can fall into sort of pragmatism in various ways that you said with regards to people. Like we want something out of the people we're reaching out to, even if it's just to be part of us or something, you know, that like that'll benefit us in some way. Um, but I'm just struck by passages like First John that it's like, if you love God, you will love your neighbor. <laughs> by the way, yeah. Jesus said that too. But, <laughs> uh, but like we can't, you know, not love our neighbor if we say we love God because God made that person um, and he made them with particular purpose and he made them to be loved. And like, that's the whole purpose of us being here is to love him and to love our neighbor. Um, and so, yeah, I, um, I think just a bit of a, one, a, a kind of gut check that can be healed by prayer um, in the sense that um, the more that we're receiving from God and offering ourselves to him, um, I think the more that the love of God will fill us um, and it'll be like, oh, my neighbor across the street, I don't want to reach out to them just so that they'll make my church bigger, like you talked about, Father Brian. Um, but because I think I want to bless them. Like I think, yeah. I mean, certainly I think the faith would be a blessing to them. Uh, but like, I really want to love and care about that person, you know, um, and that sort their of being our motivation. Yeah, exactly. And that being our motivation, I think is kind of a, a first step in the right direction. And that can also take form in praying for them. You know, um, during the quarantine, we were encouraged by various parts of the church to, to be praying for our immediate neighbors, like in our neighborhood, since we're stuck at home. Um, and I think like that's where you start, like just saying their name, you know, is like, oh, by naming them, you're saying they matter. Um, and that might relate to our um, racial issues. But 
Um, but just like praying for them and, and gathering, even gathering as a community around that, um, I think goes a long way of just like, Lord, we want you to bless these people, like do what's best for them. And God wants to meet that prayer. Anyway, and I think he'll fill us with his love for them when we do that. A thought on what you said, Father Brian, about unconditional love. Yeah. And yeah, like, how, how does that come about? You know, can you just tell, can you just tell someone, Hey, uh, people in the pews, you need to start loving, you know, <laughs> uh, like let, you can't, you can't just say like love people. Like there, there are practical parts to that, but that's going to work out as we see the Christian life as a life of discipleship where like we, yes. th- we're, we're living this out over time. Uh, I'm not just trying to teach a course here. I'm not just trying to, I'm, it's not just do X, Y, and Z. We are, we're actually being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's something that's working out. It's that, you know, that Eugene Peterson phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. It's, uh, it's, this, it's this big thing. And, and every individual person in each of our churches is undergoing that path. And we as ministers have responsibility to, to, to that as well, to the individual path that people have in, in, in their church and how that works out collectively. Which, One last is why, which is the essential, right? Because right. that's where yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of discipleship and formation happen is in community within the body of Christ. We, we can't learn to love outside of community. You yeah. just can't. You know, I think I'm just going to add one more way that I think that we can help the culture to see our church is essential. I think one way to do that is by promoting lay expertise better. You need to be empowered to be working out the gospel in your particular way of life uh, so that when, you know, when someone comes to me and says, you know, like, how can I be, uh, how does my faith work out in being a student? Well, I'm not just drawing on my own experience as a Christian who's been a student, but I've also been, you know, the church has been building up students to work out their faith in, the, in, their, in their studentship, you know, and we have resources for that. And, and when that happens, uh, that's when the church is really visible uh, in the culture around us, because we, we've built up lay expertise who have, been, uh, who have been living out their faith in the world, you know. That's, that's the multiplicative effect by which, you know, it's not just a guy in a collar that you happen to see in the street during the week, but that you have, uh, you know, disciples who are, who are walking around living out their life of faith and applying it to the world. Yeah, I think that's really important, uh, especially in our context when, um, you know, people like us, are, our voices are being, uh, marginalized isn't the right word, but uh, I don't know necessarily what the better one is. People just aren't in, as interested in what a bunch of priests have to say anymore. I mean, like, they're just not because it, it's not, it doesn't seem relevant to where they're at. Uh, but if they go to see a doctor who's like really, really good. Yeah. Uh, and there's something else that's different about this, this particular doctor. Um, you know, that's where then maybe the gospel breaks in into our society is increasingly lay people have to take the gospel outside our walls. Um, and that includes, that needs, requires relationship, intentional relationship, you know, relationship that values the other for the sake of the other. Uh, and like you said, Brian, it, it requires our people to be discipled in a way that enables them to live a Christ-shaped life in excellence in whatever it is that they're doing in their vocation, right? That was Luther's thing was the... Absolutely. The vocation. Amen. All right. Well, you know, we, we've talked about uh, quite a bit here. I, I really do believe that uh, the church living out her mission uh, will make a huge difference in, in the world around us. 
Um, and that starts with our individual, you know, the, the parishes, the churches that we're in, what are we doing in our actual communities? Um, you know, I think as we finish this, it's appropriate to finish with a prayer, praying that the church would be this. Uh, Matt, do you have, you have something you can use for us here? Yeah, we've got a, a collect for the church from our prayer book. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. Fill it with all truth, and all truth with all peace. Where it is corrupt, purify it. Where it is an error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in want, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunite it. For the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Amen. Devices and De- Desires. We're going to close up now in our topic. Uh, is the church essential? Please uh, subscribe on uh, however you're getting this and uh, share it on your social media. Let people know what's going on. We look forward to talking with you again as we seek and find a sacred world in a secular age. Till next time, bye.